If you have your Bibles, let's turn to the book of Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 is where we'll be at today. I'm going to finish out my series on the dietary law today. There's a lot more that I could say, but if you have any questions, you can feel free to ask me in private or text, and I'll do my best to answer the questions. I won't promise you that I'll have all the answers, but I will promise you that we'll study together and we'll learn and grow together in time. In my experience for the last 20 years of discussing the dietary laws of Scripture with Christians, Acts chapter 10 is the number one objection that is used in an attempt to say that the dietary law has been done away with. Before Genesis 9, which I covered two weeks ago, before Mark 7, which I covered last week, Acts 10 is the big one that is used. I still remember, I will never forget doing some work for Shane, Shane's original Rib Shack. You've seen the store Shane's Rib Shack. Well, I know Shane. Brother Arnold and I worked for him many moons ago. And I'll never forget talking to Shane out at his original store there in McDonough about the dietary laws. And the first thing that he told Brother Arnold was, what about Acts chapter 10 though? He said, Peter saw the sheet and God said, rise, kill, and eat. And Brother Arnold explained to him mostly. And Brother Shane quoted Acts 10. Brother Arnold quoted, can you guess? Isaiah 66. Brother Arnold gave him Isaiah 66 and other places in the Scriptures as well. And Brother Arnold told him, Shane, you can serve beef barbecue instead of pork barbecue. And they both laughed and we smiled. And I don't think that Shane got the message that day, but the seed was certainly sown. It's just our job to sow a seed or to water a seed or to water a plant. We don't give the increase. Yahweh gives the increase. I sometimes think that we forget about that. And we get in the way and we try to do Yahweh's job and give the increase and force somebody to see something. But it's, it's all in Yahweh's hands. It's all in Yahweh's hands. So we'll begin by reading Acts 10, 1 through 8. We're going to read a lot of the chapter here. And we'll read the first eight verses and I'll make a few comments. Acts 10, verses 1 through 8. It says, There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion, of what was called the Italian Regiment. He was a devout man. He feared the Almighty along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to the Almighty. At about three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw in a vision an angel of the Almighty who came in and said to him, Cornelius, looking intently at him, he became afraid and said, What is it, Lord, or Master, Sir? And he told him, Your prayers and your acts of charity have come up as a memorial offering before the Almighty. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, he called two of his household slaves and a devout soldier, who was one of those who attended him. After explaining everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Cornelius was what we would call a Gentile, which means he was, number one, he wasn't a circumcised Judahite. Number two, he was not raised as a child in the law of Yahweh. And number three, we don't want to leave this out, he also was not a proselyte to the Judahite faith. He was what would be called a Yah-fearer, or some people would say a God-fearer. 
Cornelius was looked on as an outsider by the Jewish people of his day, even though he gave many alms to them, and even though he prayed to the Almighty and he feared the Almighty with all of his house, he was loved at arm's length, and it was because Cornelius had not proselytized. He was not circumcised physically. We know this because of the follow-up chapter in Acts 11, where the Apostle Peter, after this in Acts 10 takes place, the Apostle Peter goes to Jerusalem and he talks about how that the message of the gospel was going to the Gentiles or the heathen nations and the Jerusalem believers, those of the circumcision, or my Bible says those who stressed circumcision, they got upset because Peter was sharing the gospel and having table fellowship with the uncircumcised Gentiles. You can read about that in Acts chapter 11. I want to point out here too, it's not really part of my sermon, but I was talking with a fellow the other day. The Apostle Paul, while he was the Apostle to the Gentiles, it doesn't mean that the other Apostles didn't preach to the Gentiles. Apostle Peter was the Apostle to the, to the Jews or to the circumcised. But the Apostle Peter was chosen by Yahweh to be the first man to preach the Gospel message to the nations, to the uncircumcised Gentiles. And that was in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapters 1 through 9, the Gospel message about Yeshua the Messiah was not preached to uncircumcised Gentiles. It was only preached to circumcised Israelites. Only. And proselytes who had joined the faith of Israel... They had converted over to serve Israel's mighty one through circumcision. They would have a ceremonial mikvah or a washing, a baptism to join the Judahite faith. And then they would adhere to the Torah that was given to the nation of Israel. And so Acts chapter 10 is new territory. The gospel went to the Jew first and then also to the Gentile or also to the Greek. And we see this in the book of Acts. Yahweh had to send the apostle Peter a vision from heaven and then supernaturally orchestrate a meeting between Peter and Cornelius in order to wake up the Judahites to the fact that the gospel message was intended since the book of Genesis, since the beginning, to be preached to everyone no matter their ethnicity and no matter whether or not they had been raised in the Torah. Yahweh preached the gospel. Yahweh the Father preached the gospel to Abraham uh, saying, In your seed, Zerah, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That seed is the Messiah. And all the families means all ethnicities, all ethnos, that's the Greek word for Gentile or nation, will be blessed by believing in the seed of Abraham, which is Yeshua the Messiah. I talked about this when I taught through Galatians chapter 3. So Cornelius was an uncircumcised Gentile, but that does not mean he was this wicked, evil sinner. We learn in verse 2, he feared the Almighty with all of his house. He gave alms, he prayed to Yahweh, and his prayers were evidently not in vain because the angel that came to Cornelius said, your prayers and your acts of charity, your almsgiving, have ascended up as a memorial before the Almighty. This is a good verse to help us remember that our our good deeds, our righteous acts, do ascend up before Yahweh. Yahweh sees and Yahweh rewards obedience. This is a good passage to prove that. Proverbs 28 verse 9 says that when a man turns away his ear from hearing the law, his prayers are an abomination. 
Evidently, Cornelius' prayers were not an abomination because they had went up to Yahweh and Yahweh saw them as a sweet memorial offering to His throne. That's far from being an abomination. Cornelius feared Yahweh to the extent that he was allowed, but he had not had the gospel about the Son of Yahweh preached to him up to this point. And so Yahweh orchestrates this. He sends this angel and Cornelius obeys the angel and Cornelius sends three men to Joppa to look for Simon Peter. Look at Acts 10 verses 9 through 16. Acts 10 beginning at verse 9. The next day, as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the housetop at about noon. Then he became hungry and wanted to eat, but while they were preparing something, he went into this visionary state. He saw heaven opened and an object coming down that resembled a large sheet being lowered to the earth by its four corners. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter said, for I have never eaten anything common and unclean. Again, a second time, a voice said to him, What the Almighty has made clean, you must not call common. This happened three times, and then the object was taken up into heaven. So Peter, Simon Peter, he has no clue about the angel going to Cornelius' house. And Peter also has no clue about the three men that Cornelius has sent to go and visit Simon Peter there in Joppa. And as these men travel to Joppa, Peter knows nothing about this. He goes up on the rooftop to pray. That's okay. Don't get scared. Roofs were flat in those days. Okay, so he goes up there to pray. People would entertain their guests up on the rooftop a lot of times in first century Israel. And Peter got hungry when he started to pray. It seems like whenever we want to pray, our mind goes in ten different directions. One of them being, we get hungry and what are we going to have to eat? So that happens to Peter too. And as Peter is up there, he begins to see this vision. The King James says he goes into this trance, this visionary state. And I would say that a vision is similar to a dream. Visions were given to people in the Bible, sometimes during the day, other times at night. And when you examine visions in the New Testament, looking up the word vision, you see that something is happening that is not taking place physically. A vision contains things that are certainly real, but they're not physical. And Yahweh sometimes would speak to people in visions and in dreams. That doesn't mean every time you dream at night that Yahweh is trying to tell you something. But Yahweh could tell you something if He so chose through a dream or through a vision. Visions contain symbols in them that stand for other points or items in reality. Here are a few examples. One is Genesis chapter 37 where Joseph had two dreams where in one of them there was these sheaves of wheat that were bowing down to Joseph. And in another one, he saw the sun, the moon, and eleven stars bow down to him. So, that was a dream. And the reality or the physical part or counterpart of that dream, what those dreams represented was that his, his father, his mother, and his brothers would be subject to him when one day, little known to Joseph at the time, but when one day he would rule second in command over the entire land of Egypt. Egypt. 
So his dream represented something else. It would be foolish of us to think that the sun, the moon, and the stars would literally or physically bow down to Joseph. They represented something else. Another one is in Genesis 41. This is the one I would tell my children when they were smaller. Is that Pharaoh had a dream or a vision, we might say, that there were these scrawny and sickly cows, seven of them, that ate the fat, healthy cows. And then he saw the seven scrawny, sickly ears of grain devour the seven fat, healthy, thick ears of grain. And that seemed strange to Pharaoh, and he wondered what it meant. And even a heathen like Pharaoh knew that his dream could not be taken literally. He knew that it meant something, and that it stood for something. And later on, Joseph explained that it stood for seven years of famine, that was the sick and the scrawny cows and grain, that would devour or take over after seven years of plenty. And so there we have some items in a vision or a dream that represent something else. And we have this going on in like Daniel chapter 7 where Daniel sees these four beasts. I can't remember them all right now. One was a bear, I think, a lion, a leopard. One of them wasn't even named by an animal, but he said it had these iron teeth and and ten horns, and then one little horn came through and uprooted three of the ten horns, and then the little horn had a mouth that spoke in the eyes of a man, and it was prideful. And all of that in that vision that Daniel saw, it represented or it stood for something else. This is a common stream of thought. This is a common theme throughout the Bible of these visions and these dreams that people would have. And it's obvious that in a vision, certain items represent other items. And I believe that's the case here in Acts chapter 10. And in this vision, Peter sees this great big sheet lowered to the earth by four corners. And in that sheet were all kinds of animals. The text here says four-footed animals, reptiles, and birds. People automatically think, well, it was just unclean animals. But that's not what the text says. It says all manner of four-footed animals. So I think that the sheet included both clean and unclean animals, or we might say common and unclean animals as well. And Peter hears this voice when the sheet falls down, and, and the voice says, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. And the first thing out of Peter's mouth, years after the Messiah had died, resurrected, went to heaven, he says, No, Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. Unclean would refer to the list of animals in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14 that are unclean. But the word common could refer to something ordinary, something that was just common, not necessarily unclean. That word common was used last week in Mark chapter 7 where the Pharisees said, Why do your disciples eat bread with defiled hands? That's the Greek word koinos, which means common, common hands. It's a word that speaks of our common salvation. It's a word in Acts where it says they had all things in common. Nobody was above or below. So... Something that was common had never entered into Peter's mouth, but common and unclean is not the exact same thing. Something common could refer to, let's say, a pot of beef stew that was cooked in a clay pot, but the clay pot had been defiled because a dead rat fell into it, and it was supposed to be broke. But the beef stew was cooked in the clay pot. The beef stew was not unclean, but it was common. It was ordinary because of how it was cooked. Peter was a faithful observer of the dietary law. He'd never put anything in his mouth that was common or unclean. But that voice came back to Peter a second time and said, What the Almighty has made clean, you must not call common. 
Now I want you to notice something that gets overlooked often, even by people in our type congregations. And that is this, is that the voice from heaven never tells Peter to eat an unclean animal. Most people read it so fast that they think, well, God's changing the dietary laws right here. Thank the Lord. (laughs) But the voice never says, Peter, eat the unclean. The sheet gets let down. There's all these animals in the sheet and all that the voice says, and I do believe the voice is is Yahweh, all the voice says is, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And then when Peter objects and the voice responds, the voice says, what the Almighty has made clean or deems to be clean, don't call common. Peter's the only one that uses the word unclean, not the voice from heaven. There's a difference between common and unclean. And Yahweh was simply saying this, what I consider to be clean, Peter, you are not allowed to call that ordinary or common. Something that Peter was calling common, Yahweh considered to be clean. But he never told him, even in the vision, to eat anything unclean. That is a point that gets missed by most, but it's very important if you read it carefully. Verse 17, While Peter was deeply perplexed about what the vision he had seen might mean, uh, let's stop right there for a second because I think that it's funny how that Peter was deeply perplexed about what the vision meant, yet scores of Christians today think they get it right after they read it, we can go out and have a ham sandwich because the vision was given to Peter. Peter was deeply perplexed. He wondered, he thought, he pondered. What does this mean? Peter never said, well, the dietary laws have been done away with. That's what this vision means. Peter never said that. Nothing that we read about Peter later on in the New Testament ever even insinuates that. But he was perplexed. He wondered. He knew it meant something. He knew it was from Yahweh. But he wondered, what does this vision mean? So I think it's funny how people think today They know exactly what it means, just like that, and yet Peter was perplexed. Look at the rest of verse 17. He thought about the vision. It says, The men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions to Simon's house, stood at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was also named Peter, was lodging there. Let's keep reading verse 19. While Peter was thinking about the vision, the Spirit told him, Yahweh's Spirit, Three men are here looking for you. Get up, go downstairs and accompany them with no doubts at all because I have sent them. So how many times did the vision occur to the Apostle Peter? Three times. According to Acts 10 verse 16, the vision happened three times and then the sheet was taken away. How many men showed up to Peter's house? Three men showed up to Peter's house. You think that's a coincidence? Not at all. Yahweh the Father was orchestrating these things. He sent that vision three times. Cornelius, Yahweh didn't tell Cornelius to send three men, but he orchestrated it. He caused it to happen. And Cornelius sent these three men. And the tripling of the vision was intended to show the Apostle Peter the importance of the vision. Uh, Things were doubled and tripled in the Bible to show importance or emphasis. Look at verse 21. Let's read do some reading here, beginning at verse 21, and let's go all the way to verse 28. 
Verse 21, Then Peter went down to the men and said, Here I am, the one you're looking for. What is the reason you're here? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and Yah-fearing man, who has a good reputation with the whole Jewish nation, was divinely directed by a holy angel to call you to his house and to hear a message from you. Peter then invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day he got up and set out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went with him. The following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was expecting them, and he had called together his relatives and his close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. But Peter helped him up and said, Stand up, I myself also am a man. While talking with him, he went on in and found that many had come together there. Verse 28 is key. Peter said to them, You know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. But the Almighty hath shown me that I must not call any person common or unclean. Verse 29, That's why I came without any objection when I was sent for. So I ask, why did you send for me? There's the meaning of the vision. Right there in verse 28. Peter did not say, Yahweh hath showed me that I can eat a ham sandwich now. Or Yahweh hath showed me that I can have lobster tail now. Or swordfish, or camel, or skunk. And then he goes out and eats a ham sandwich. We read, you know. and No, that's not what Yahweh showed him. That's not what Peter said. The circumcised believers, after Acts 10, the Jewish believers in the Messiah that were circumcised, they never jumped on Peter for eating pork after the vision. However, the circumcised believers, they did get upset with Peter because he had went in and fellowshiped with Cornelius, his family and friends, after he had the vision. Now, verse 28 is superb in the HCSB. The Holman Christian Standard Bible, I believe, gets this more correct when it says, you know that it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. The King James Version is not incorrect, but it's not as good. Because the King James says that it's unlawful. The problem is, is that in the Torah, there's nothing in Yahweh's law that would forbid Peter to go in and fellowship with a man like Cornelius. And so what forbidden means here, or unlawful means is that it was the prevailing custom of the Judahites of that time. And they considered it to be unlawful. You had to keep Cornelius at arm's length. You could not bring him in as like they would a brother Judahite, like they would a circumcised lawkeeper. That's, I think, what Peter is saying here when he says, you know that it's forbidden or unlawful. He's not saying Yahweh's told me to break His law. But just as we discovered last week how that the Pharisees would consider the traditions of the elders to be law, it was the prevailing custom of the Jews of that time that, look, we don't associate with those people. Remember, there's a story, it's similar to this, it's not the same, but there's a story in Luke 15 where Yeshua is eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees get upset and they say, this man eats and drinks with sinners. And, of course, Yeshua tells them, look, I need to share with them. I need to love them. People still would probably be like that today. I've known a lot of church folk that don't like it when they see you hanging around with a certain person. 
Well, that person, we kind of shun him or her. That person doesn't smell right. That person doesn't look right. That person doesn't dress right. We're not supposed to hang around them. We're not supposed to be alike to them. You know, love them, but love them at arm's length. It's kind of forbidden to associate with certain people. I think that's what's going on right here. Peter says, you know it's forbidden for a a man like me that's been raised in the Torah, I'm circumcised, (laughs) to visit with or associate with a man like Cornelius. But Yahweh has showed me something through this vision. Not that I can eat pork now. Yahweh has showed me that I should not call any person common or unclean. What Yahweh was showing Peter was this. The door of salvation was being opened to uncircumcised Gentiles who had not been raised in the Torah. Flip to Acts 11. And after Peter explains this to the Jewish believers in Acts 11, look at Acts 11 verse 18. It says this, when they heard this, the day is the Jewish believers, when they heard this, they became silent. They quit complaining about what Peter had done. Then they glorified the Almighty saying, so the Almighty has granted repentance resulting in life to even the Gentiles. They got it. Look with me. Flip your Bible to Acts chapter 14. In Acts chapter 14, verse 27. Now this is later on in the book of Acts. Paul, Saul of Tarsus has been converted. He is the apostle to the nations. Primary apostle to the nations. And in Acts 14, 27 it says, after they arrived and gathered the church together, they reported everything the Almighty had done with them and that He had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So the door of faith was was closed and now He had opened the door of faith. And what that means is it's referring specifically to the uncircumcised people among the nations that weren't raised in the Torah. Because there were other nations, other people that would be considered Gentiles that had already came into Israel, but they came in through being proselytes. But Cornelius was about to come in to the covenant without being a proselyte. He was going to come in uncircumcised. He was going to come into the covenant kind of like Father Abraham came into the covenant while he was uncircumcised. And I think that's what Peter and a lot of the Jews of that day had forgotten is that when Yahweh called Abraham out of the Ur of Chaldees in Genesis 12, he was 75 years old, he was uncircumcised, and that was 25 years before the covenant of circumcision was given to Abram. And in Genesis 15, when Abram was justified by faith, by faith, it was 14 years before Genesis 17 and the covenant of circumcision. And so if if Abram could be justified by faith, then Cornelius could be justified by faith. And in Acts 10, if we go back to Acts 10, in verses 34 through 35, Peter says this as plain as... I think it could be said. Acts 10.34, Then Peter began to speak, In truth, I understand that the Almighty does not show favoritism, partiality. But in every nation, ethnos, the person who fears Him and does what is right is accepted with Him. That's the message of Acts 10. Peter says, I get this now. I understand this. That's the message. And I think some people today still need to hear that message. That in any nation, in every nation, the person who does what is right and who fears the Almighty is accepted with the Almighty. Peter was shown that Yahweh does not show salvational favoritism based upon a person's genealogy or ethnicity. I'm not to call any person common or unclean. 
but I'm to preach the gospel and let Yahweh save who He intends and wants to save. I plant the seed, I water the seed, Yahweh does the saving work. And we see that this took place at the end of Acts 10. You can read the rest of Acts 10 in your study time tonight or later on this week. But in the end of Acts 10, while Peter was preaching the gospel message, the good news about the Messiah, death, burial, and resurrection, perfect life, how he went about doing good and healing everybody that was oppressed by the devil because Yahweh was with him. Peter was speaking and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit fell down upon the the Gentiles, uncircumcised. And it says that the circumcised believers were astonished. They were amazed because the same gift of the Holy Spirit that fell on the apostles in Acts chapter 2 had now fell on Cornelius and his household in Acts chapter 10. That was the gift of languages. The ability to speak in a language you'd never learned. And Peter said, look, I didn't do this. Peter didn't lay his hands. Some people think you've got to lay your hands on somebody before, before they get the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not against the laying on of hands, but they received the Holy Spirit in Acts 10 without the laying on of hands. They got it directly from heaven. Directly from heaven. And the Jewish believers were amazed. And Peter said, Can anybody forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Spirit even as we did? Nobody spoke up. Everybody stayed silent. Nobody forbid water. And they baptized uncircumcised Cornelius that day. So what Yahweh deems to be clean, don't call common. Cornelius may have not been raised in the law. He wasn't. He was a Gentile. That's why he wasn't circumcised. He wasn't raised in the law of Yahweh. He didn't have Israelite parents. But neither was Abram when he was called in Genesis 12-15, through like I said before. As I close, why would Yahweh send such a vision to teach Peter this lesson? That's the question I usually get asked. Matthew, why would Yahweh send a sheet with common and unclean animals? In it and use this to get Peter's attention or to show him something? And my answer is, I really don't know because the Bible doesn't tell me why Yahweh chose to use this method. I'm not to question Yahweh. So I don't really know why Yahweh chose to use common and unclean animals in the vision. But I do know this. Tradition dies hard. Tradition can be so entrenched in somebody that it takes something of some shock value to wake them up out of their way of thinking. And what better way than to send Peter, a man who had never eaten anything common or unclean, a sheep with some clean, common, and unclean animals in it. Now you say, but it doesn't make sense to use unclean animals if unclean animals still can't be eaten. Well, number one, don't forget that Yahweh never told Peter to eat anything unclean in the vision. He just said, what I consider to be clean, you don't call common. You don't call common. There's a difference between common and unclean. You don't call it common. And number two, consider this point right here. Yeshua Himself is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah in Revelation 5 in a vision. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy to open the book and loose its seals. Do you know that a lion is an unclean animal? It walks on all paws. Leviticus 11 says any animal that walks on all paws is unclean to eat. Does the point that Yeshua is symbolized by an unclean animal somehow make the lion okay to eat? No. No. The symbol of the lion stands for something in particular about Yeshua. I would argue that it stands for strength and kingship. 
He's the king. He's the ruler. That's all. We don't have to read anything more into Revelation 5 and think, well, Yeshua's called a lion, so it must be a clean animal now. We don't have to read anything more into Acts chapter 10. Well, Yahweh sent the sheep, said, rise, kill, and eat, so now we can eat anything that won't eat us first, right? No, Yahweh got Peter's attention by giving him a vision of a sheet with common and unclean animals in it. And then all he said was, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. Peter did not start eating unclean after the vision, but he did begin to preach the gospel to men and women that were considered commoners. You know why he did that? Because he got the message. Yahweh showed him. Don't call any person common or unclean. Preach the gospel. I'll do the saving. The gospel is to go to all the families of the earth. They'll be blessed through the seed of Abraham. So the commoners who were spoken to at arm's length were now embraced fully into the family. How? By faith. By faith. Not by their ethnicity, not by their genealogy, but by faith. Paul talks about the household of faith. I thought it was so neat how that Brother Arnold read out of the book of Malachi before I started the sermon. And it taught the same thing that I just taught here today. It says that the children of Yahweh, it gives the criteria for them. It says they are those who fear Yahweh, those who serve Yahweh, and those who thought or had a high regard for His name. Amen. What are those? Those are spiritual characteristics. It doesn't say in Malachi 3 that the children of Yahweh are those of a certain color or ethnicity or a certain genealogy. The characteristics or the criteria given for the children of Yahweh, those that He writes this book about, are spiritual characteristics. This is a family of faith, brothers and sisters. This is a household of faith. That's the message that Peter needed to get. And he got it. And hopefully we get it. I think most of us do, but hopefully people that listen to this sermon will get it and say, you know what, maybe that passage isn't saying we can eat pork now or catfish now or something like that. And I think I've done justice to the text. And I hope that these sermons have been a blessing to everybody here and everybody that listened to them from abroad. There's been six lessons and all. You can go back and listen to them on my website. And I hope that they'll be a blessing to the entire body of the Messiah. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. We'll be back here next week. Brother Jerry and Brother TJ will be ministering to us. And I'm looking forward to that. Yahweh, thank You so much for Your Word. I love and appreciate You oh so much. Thank You for a good understanding. You said a good understanding of all they that do Your commandments. Yahweh, Father, give us even more of an understanding as we continue to go to higher heights in service to You. And I pray, Yahweh, that You would bless the people here. Through Your Son. Amen.